Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. It's good to see you in church. May God richly bless you for coming to the service today. I'll begin with a statement that may sound like a statement of defeat. But I think it's a statement of fact. And I want us to build on our series based on that statement. The year 2020 has been a tough year. The year 2020 has been a hard year. The year 2020 has come with things that we never imagined were going to come along, along the way. It's been tough. And if it has not been tough to you, we would want you to acknowledge and understand that for some of us, it's been a tough year. It's been a year that we thought things were going to begin to work. And all of a sudden, a tsunami hit by the name coronavirus. And it changed everything. But God remains God. He remains unmovable. He remains unshakable. He remains unstoppable. He remains God. Amen? I will welcome those that are worshiping with us right at the very end of the service. Because I do acknowledge that sometimes the most daunting place can be in church when you are asked to stand and you are standing for the first time. So we are going to do it right at the very end, just before we close the service. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How to face setbacks in life, part one. I'll continue with this next week as we get prepared for the time of fasting and prayer before end of the year. How to face setbacks in life, part one. Let's go to the book of First Samuel. In order for us to begin building up the story. And we'll look at three things today. Next week we are going to look at four things. But our story begins from the book of First Samuel. Later on we are going to come to the main scripture for today. First Samuel chapter 16, if you found it, say amen. I can still hear some shufflings and rumblings of paper. So I'll wait for a minute. First Samuel chapter 16. Are you there now? Okay. We're going to read verse 1. 
and verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I want us to read it together. 1, 2, 3, go. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jersey the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If so hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Amen. God is heartbroken with Saul. And he decides, I'll provide myself a king among the children of Israel. And this man is going to be a man after my own heart, after my own heart. It's going to be the up of my eye. And I'm going to bring him into a place of prominence, a place of honor, and a place of dignity. And I want us to understand, as we begin the service this morning, that God has got for you a place of prominence, a place of honor, and a place of dignity. He has that place for you. A place where God desires to fulfill all his promises for your life. There is such kind of a place. So, we come to First Samuel chapter 16, and I'm not going to go all the way back. Daniel, David is chosen by God. To be king. He is chosen by God. And I want you to understand that statement. Because we are going to refer to it again next week. He is chosen by God to be king. But you are going to be surprised as we finish this story. That even though he is chosen to be king by God. He doesn't install himself onto the seat of kingship. And neither does God come down to install him onto the seat of kingship. Something very interesting happens. But he's chosen by God. And he's anointed, as you carry on with our story, he's anointed by Samuel in the presence of his brothers. Brother Eliab was there. Brother Abinadab was there. Brother Shama was there. Those were the oldest children of Jesse, Eliab, Abnadab, and Shammah. But we are told there were seven older brothers. And David was the youngest of all. And the place where he is found, it has to be in the bush, taking care of sheep. But even though he is the youngest, God being God and God being 
the God who is no, re, no respecter of persons, he chooses David. You don't need to be first born for God to do great things with your life. Neither do you need to be second born. Neither do you need to be third born. Neither do you need to be fifth born. You can be last born. You can be number 12 in your family. And God can still bring you to a place of prominence, honor, and dignity. Because he, Jehovah, wants to fulfill the plans and the desires that he has for your life. Hallelujah. So, David is anointed by Saul. After he is anointed by, uh, by, by Samuel, immediately after that, public battles begin. He had fought some battles before, which he tells us himself, that when he was busy taking care of sheep, a lion would come up to take one of the sheep. And David tells us that he would rise up and fight against the lion and literally take the sheep out of the mouth of the lion. And one day he says a bear came up. And he tells this to Saul when he's about to fight Goliath. And he says, your servant has fought against a lion and has fought against a bear. And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? But those were private battles. And I want you to understand, in life, you are going to face private battles that nobody else knows about. But apart from the private battles, there are also going to be public and open battles. That everybody else will know you're going through battle. How do the battles begin? The battles begin with Goliath. The boy is, is minding his own issues. The father calls him from the, from the bush and he says, I want you to go and check how your brothers are faring because they have gone to war. King Saul had gone to war. Eliab had gone to war. Abnadab had gone to war. Shammah had gone to war. And Jesse says, I want to send you. Go and check how they're doing. So he takes some food. He gets to the battlefield. And as he gets to the battlefield, the, ba the armies are lining up on the line of battle. But as they're lining up on the line of battle, he hears a voice. Choose a man among you who has to fight against me. If that man wins, all of us Philistines become your servants. But if I win, all of you are going to become our servants. And the Bible tells us that everybody begins to tremble and people begin to laugh. But the story is going on among the people. Whosoever defeats this man, the king has said, is going to give him his daughter for a wife. And he's going to put him in a place of honor. It's another part which I really like. It's when he says, and everybody in his father's house 
is going to be tax-free in the whole of Israel because tax is free. Paying tax is not easy. It's hard. Sometimes when you when you look at it and say, if I was given a choice to pay myself, I wasn't going to pay. And for me to prove it is exactly what we do with time. If the government was not going to put up a law and say, you did that from source. Let all of us, we go and sell something, then at the end of the week or at the end of the month, we all, all of us, the whole Malawi, I want you to imagine the whole Malawi, we pay a lot of money to come and pay our taxes. What a busy office that would be. The majority of the people wouldn't go and pay. So they deduct the source. So that's already I've proven number one that if we're given a choice, we will not pay. So David is so he could see Eliab and Abnadab and Shama and Jersey and all the other brothers not paying tax. But anyway, continuing this story, Eliab meets him because he really wants to understand the story. So Eliab meets him and says, what have you done to me? I know the insolence of your heart. So, whatever David is saying is eventually reported to Saul. And Saul calls for him, and David comes, and that's when he tells him that he has fought against bears and lions. And he says, I'll fight against this guy. So, Saul tries to make him wear his clothes, but the Bible tells us that the clothes were too heavy. But also remember that Saul, when he was found, he was the tallest. The time he went to hide, to run away from being a king, and they found him. They found that he was, he was the guy who was the tallest amongst them all. So obviously his clothes were taller than David. So David, when he says, I can't wear them, he means exactly that. He couldn't wear them. So he takes them off. Bible tells us it takes a sling with five stones. The rest is history. Battle number one. They are coming back from battle. The Bible tells us the women came to welcome King Saul. When they were coming back from battle, Goliath is defeated and the only thing the, the Bible tells us that David cuts the head of, of, of Goliath. He brings it to Israel. But the javelin, he takes it and puts it in his tent. So they're coming back from battle. And everybody's excited. Because when you begin to read that, they chased them all the way to the gates of Ekron. And the Philistines fell along the way. So they're coming from battle. And the women are coming to welcome their king, King Saul. And they compose a song. And that song is the beginning of 
the longest running of battles in the life of Jacob. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed tens of thousands. And they're singing it. And they have a tambourine. And they're busy singing, rejoicing. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. And, and Saul is confused. One man becomes tens of thousands. The battles I fought before that, you only say a thousand. So Saul, the Bible says, Saul says, what else can he have apart from the kingdom? Because if you are saying Goliath, Goliath is tens of thousands, and all the battles I fought with Jonathan, it's only thousands, then it doesn't make sense. Then this young man is going to take over the kingdom. So, a demon comes from God for the life of Saul. And the only one who can calm the demon is David. But before we get there, Saul eventually, not once, about what? Tries to kill David. And every time when, when this demon would come and Saul is busy doing whatever he was doing, there would be a spear by the side. And David is there singing his songs to calm the demon down. The very same person who is trying to calm your demon down, you want to kill. So Saul would always say these words. These are in the Bible. Let him, let me pin him to the wall. Day one, he misses. Day two, he misses. When he discovers that I cannot pin him to the wall, Saul remembers that he had made a promise that he will give his daughter to the man who defeats Goliath. For a wife. So he takes the oldest daughter called Merab to give to David as a wife. But the Bible says, before, when, when David has done everything else, just when he is about to be given the wife, so he decides that he's going to give the wife to everyone. So he takes the wife and gives them to Adriel. 1 Samuel chapter 18, 17 to 19. That's exactly what he does. So the spear has failed. Now let me use deceit and trickery. And it doesn't work. Funny enough, immediately after this has happened, the, well, the youngest daughter, now the daughter that comes in after Merab, her name is called Michal, falls in love with David. And David goes like, aha. The last time I promised. But this one, he has fallen in love himself. So I'll finish him up. You find that in First Samuel chapter 18, 20 to 21. I'm not going to read all that. But now what is very interesting is that Saul plants spies. The Bible says informers. Who are to go and speak to David. 
and saying, you know what, you have to be really, really happy because you're going to become the king's son-in-law. And David says, you, th- you think it's easy. But why is so planting spies? And, and, and I'm just giving you some lessons before we go to the three lessons. I know you've heard me say this before, but I have to say it. There come a point in life. And I want you to take note of this. There come a point in life. It's that time. When what you say is used against you. And what you don't say is used against you. Keeping quiet is wrong. Talking is wrong. When you talk, the conclusion is, if he had not done it, if she had not done it, she couldn't have spoken. So this trying to talk is trying to just defend himself or herself. It's a sign of guilt. You keep quiet. I'm not going to say anything. This keeping quiet is a sign of guilt. Because if he had not done it, by now she could have talked. So keep this keeping quiet, even and, and people conclude, look at her face. Look at his face. That could you could you see the way she was looking on her face? Guilt, guilt. It, it was written all over guilt. Because you kept quiet. So keeping quiet is wrong, talking is wrong. And David doesn't know that these men who are busy talking to him are actually planted into his life by Saul as informers, as spies, to finish him off. And sometimes, you know, life, life is interesting. As you begin to grow older and older and older, you actually begin to discover that you cannot even have Three best friends. And most of the times, by the time you die, you are your only best friend. Maybe apart from your wife or your husband. But, but most of the times, by the time you live for glory, you are your only best friend. You don't have another best friend. So that's is happening to David. And, and, that, and this should teach you a very Simple, quick lesson. Be very careful what comes out of your mouth. Amen? But after that, he sets up a death trap. says, okay, since you love me, Carl, I'm going to give that to you. But I need 104 skins of the Philistines. What Saul is saying is, let him go to battle. Let my hand not be against David. Let him go into battle and let the Philistines finish him off. Let's see if he's going to marry me. God being God makes David to kill not only 100, but the Bible tells us he brought 200 foreskins. And when he brought the 200 foreskins, the Bible tells us immediately Saul knew God is with him. So eventually Saul becomes very aggressive and he begins to chase the young man from cave to cave, city to city. 
And not only once, but several times. David misses death by a whisker. Hallelujah. Now, whether you like it or not, battles can wear you down. Battles can wear you down. When you are going through a thing like this. So let's go to First Samuel chapter 27. Because I'm laying a bit of the background and then we'll do the other things. So. Verse 1 to 7. This time, Saul, David spares Saul the second time. Saul has been following him and he finds him in a cave and everything else. But now he spares him for the second time. So let's go to chapter 27. David has spared Saul the second time. 27. And David said in his heart, You should be able to speak to yourself in your heart. And and these the words, David is not speaking them to the hearing of people. The Bible tells us he speaks these words. He says these words to himself in his heart. What are the words? Now, I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Then nothing, there is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul would despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Those are the words he speaks to himself. Other versions of the Bible says, then David said to his heart, one day, Saul will kill me. One day Saul will kill me. The way this battle is going, one day he will finish me off. But why, do, why does he tell himself, I think I just have to escape. You know, it's not every battle you have to fight. We'll talk about that next week. It's not every battle. Sometimes appear stupid, run away from battle, because you know the calling of God upon your life. Because you know what God has called you to. It's not every battle you fight. Don't try to be seen as a macho man. Sometimes you run. And it's also an act of faith. And the church says, because sometimes you fight these battles. You fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. You win, but the, but the, the, the winning is hollow. It's empty. You don't feel anything. But we'll talk about it next week, alright? Don't miss church. So, eventually, then David, verse 2, arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Goliath was from Gath. So he goes right into the territory of Goliath. The only place where he could find help was right 
in the place where he killed their champion. And actually the people of God eventually said, isn't this the same guy they sang about, so has killed a thousand and he has killed tens of thousands. So it, no, it actually this song is, uh, so I'm sorry, I'm going to digress a little bit. My family and I went to Swaziland last year for the graduation of our son. And uh, we were in a car, so we stopped at a place to buy a SIM card. And I heard a song, and I'm going to sing you here a song, the song. Jerusalem. You know that song? You come to Malawi. So the song, David has killed tens of thousands. Saul has killed the thousands, was like what? I tell you, you got it. It was Jerusalem. The way you guys have known Jerusalem, it's exactly the way this song was. So everywhere, even in God, they knew Jerusalem. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're singing it. Some of you, all you will remember from today is Pastor San Jerusalem. <laughs> it's a demonstration now. You understand it? So, so they knew that. So he gets right into the territory. Where even the children, I, I believe the children of Gath were singing Jerusalem. And their parents were telling them, shut up. You don't know what Jerusalem means because I also don't know. So David arose, went over 600 men, the gate of Gath. And the Bible says, verse 3, so David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household. Now they are going to go and settle. So he goes with each household and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelites. And Abigail the Camelotites, Nabal's widow. And it was told so that David has fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. That was the end. The young man has gone to Gath. And Saul knows I can't go to Gath, so leave him there. As you carry on, let's carry on, verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. Very important part of our preaching this morning. So David settles now in Ziklag. And the Bible tells us one year, four months, 16 months. In these 16 months, the relationship between Akish and David is blossoming to the point that now Akish trusts David. But when you read, David would leave Ziklag and go all around and kill all the people 
And the Bible says he would leave no one alive. The only thing that would bring back were sheep, camels, and all sorts of things. And, and he would give some to Akish. And then Akish would ask him, which part did you read today? And David would say, like, this side of Judah, that side of Judah, that side of Judah. So Akish really trusts him. To the point that by the time you come to First Samuel chapter 29, Akish is about to go into war against Israel. And he takes David to go and help fight his battle. When they get to the battlefield, the Philistine commanders ask, Zikla, uh, ask Akish, what is this man doing in our midst? And, and Akish says, don't you know him? He's, he's David. And he's been with us for more than one year now. And the Philistine commander says, uh, 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 King, this young man, we may get into battle and he may turn against us. So, please send him back. And David says, Beg. David is busy begging to go and fight, but he really didn't mean to. How, how is he going to go and fight the very same people that he has to be king over? Story for another day. So, it was upon this that he sent back from the battlefield and now David meets what I call possibly the greatest setback in his life. First Samuel chapter 30. Let's read it together. Go there, please. I have finished laying the foundation. And we're going to look at the three things now. First Samuel chapter 30. Verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. That means they've been walking back from battle. They're coming back to where they live. And, and actually, he was told that he needed to leave very early in the morning. So the day he was told, go back, he didn't leave immediately. They spent a night. And then early morning they left. And the Bible tells us it was now the third day they, 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 they are there. So the Bible says on the, third day, on the third day that the Amalekites had inverted the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. Now what I want you to see is everything else that these guys worked on is gone in fire. Let's carry on. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. This is a stage whereby you can't cry anymore. You sit down. But now, there are only tears coming down. And sometimes, there are even no more tears coming. But you're just going. <laughs> and there are no more tears because the tears are gone. You need to drink some more water for the tears to come. I'll come to that. Point, that's our point number one, by the way. 
And David too wise, Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and Abigail the widow of Nabah the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring me the effort here to me. And Abiathar brought the effort to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men with, who were with him, and came to the brook Bessel, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 men, uh, for 200 stayed behind who were too so weary that they could not cross the brook vessel. Let's stop there for now. Let's go into our series now. What is a setback? A setback is anything that sets you back. You are trying to progress in life. You are trying to progress. And it, so it looks like now, things now have started moving, as we say. And you now begin to say, oh, wow, life is good. You, you're making some progress. And all over a sudden, something hits you, and you can't progress as you desire to. That's a setback. And I want to say that as God works with you, as God raises you, you are going to face several challenges along the way. You are going to face several situations along the way that will try to push you down. Doesn't mean that God is not with you. But you're going to face setbacks. You make one step forward, and all of a sudden you are hit, and you go 10 steps backwards. When you go 10 steps backwards, a lot of people give up. Found how many would And you know the pain you went through to go over the nine steps to get where you were. And you cannot imagine, you cannot fathom, you cannot even dream to begin to do this thing again. You say, like, you know what? And at that point, a lot of people say, it's better I, huh? I die. So whenever you hear somebody has committed suicide, please don't be quick to judge. So challenges like Goliath will come. There are people who come in your life and defy the God you serve. The God you've been singing, ancient, ancient ways, cannot, ancient what? Ancient ways cannot see. Changing me, changing me, your path. If open hearts, oh, the God, the God you were saying, 
you 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 came to a point where you 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 taught people. Ine, I will do chicheo and then I'll go into English. Ineyo ndaona mulungu. I have seen God. And everybody else is acknowledging that as for you, you have come face to face with God and you didn't die. And Goliath will rise up and defy the God whom you say you believe in. Not only that, you are going to go through wilderness experiences in life. And if you are not ready to go through wilderness experiences in life, then you are not fit to be here on planet Earth. Because they will come. You will face enemies. There will be people who will vow. As far as I am concerned, I came on planet Earth for one purpose and one purpose alone. To be your enemy. That's why you cannot say everything to everybody. Because you don't know who has sent you. Am I saying? <laughs> okay, okay. The other thing you should understand is that one day you have all the plans in place. And all of a sudden, all the plans will fall into disarray. Things you never expected to happen will happen. What does that tell you? Your life will not always be smooth. Your life will not always be smooth. And the way you deal with the setbacks will determine how far you will go in life, how far you will rise in life. When Goliath has come, when the plans have fallen into disarray, when the wilderness experience has come, when enemies has come and they have vowed they are your enemy, the way you deal with that will determine how far you will go in life. Don't just sing to us, I am a friend of God, he calls me friend. Doesn't he call you friend, he does. He actually calls you my child. The path of greatness for most people is plagued with setbacks, disappointments, and discouragements. You will be discouraged in life. You will be disappointed in life. You will suffer setbacks. These guys have settled there in Ziklag for one year, four months. And it seems things are beginning to fall into place. And out of the blue, when they least expected, there is an attack. And everything is lost. Everything. When I say everything, is everything. There are times in life when we work so hard. And believe this is it. And all of a sudden, it's gone. It, it's as if you're dreaming. One time I, I, I was asked by an organization to go and uh, help with people. I drove, parked my car outside. There was a security guard. 
I left my jacket, I left my Bible, and I walked inside. Started doing it. Lunch hour. Go to the car. The car is not broken into. My laptop inside. My jacket is gone. The only thing they left in the car was a laptop. Now, in that laptop were all the pictures we took in our life with our children. From the moment they were born, all the videos we did with our kids, we were keeping them on the laptop. Or maybe I was very ignorant that I didn't know. And on that day, I knew all the pictures I took in my life of my children. I will not have any treasures in my life of how my babies look like when they were babies. By God's grace, when you would send people, I went into your So I found some, one picture there, one picture there, one picture there. Those are the only memories we have of our children. Everything gone! And there will be such moments in your life when everything is lost. You can't avoid problems in life. You can't. But it is your attitude in the time of difficulty that will reveal your true character. It's very easy to say you're a child of God. Very easy. Amen. Amen. You are welcome. Amen. And I'll pray for you. Amen. 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 You will face such times in life. The way you handle it reveals your true character. Number three, the first three things we need to look at today. So, what do you do? What are the lessons we learn from the story? Number one, the first thing you should do, write it down. Don't pretend to be immune and act as if nothing has happened, and act as if it's not happening. Don't do that. Because sometimes we think in trying to act Superman. You know, the problem is when you watch Spider-Man for a long time, and you watch Superman for a long time, you begin to believe that facade. Don't pretend to be immune. You are not immune. You being a child of God does not immune you, bring immunity from setbacks, challenges, wilderness experiences, and all these things that people go through. 
Because sometimes you think it's only those who don't believe in God who go through that. Children of God go through that also. Don't pretend. And I want you to understand, today you should tell yourself, I'm not Superman, I'm not Superwoman. I'm not Spider-Man, I'm not Spider-Woman. So don't pretend. Hallelujah. Let's see what happens in verse 4. They have come back. Ziklag is burnt. Houses they built are gone. Wives are gone. Children are gone. All the animals. And I want you to see the animals that are gone. First Samuel chapter 27 verse 9. I want you to see. The Bible tells us. Whenever David attacked the land, when they were settled in Ziklag, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel. The apparel are clothing, Zovala. And returned and came to Akish. So when they come back on this day, the camels are gone, the sheep are gone, the oxen are gone, the donkeys are gone. The clothes are gone. The only clothes they have on them are the clothes they are wearing. We were coming back from Zimbabwe in 1995. Amazing conference we attended. Pastor Singo was there. I don't think Naomi was with us. Were you born again by that? I just wanted to check. They met in college. We're coming back. Amazing conference. Really, really amazing conference. And I think that's where you committed yourself to the Holy And it was an amazing conference. We arrive at Wenela Bus Depot. We have to board a bus. Night compost, as we used to call them. We are driving to Zomba. We come to Magomelo Teno. Now, before I went on this trip, I had to borrow a suit bag, a suit carrier from a friend to put in my clothes. So when we got on the bus, I put the suit carrier on the rail in the bus. We come to Magomeno Teno. We meet armed robbers. And the armed robbers literally come on the bus. And they make us to do offering. And everybody has to take out the money they have and give. As they are going down, they see the suit carrier. And they say, that one too. I wanted to stand up. Because the suit carrier was not mine. You go into a life, somebody else goes like, that was my experience. The suit carrier wasn't mine. So as, 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 and, and I'm trying to go, and I think it was Brother Samson Lembani. He tells me, my back don't face you. So I sit, I sat down. And I saw the suit carrier, which wasn't mine, gone. So by the time we arrived at Baga Chancellor College, the only thing I had on me are the clothes I'm wearing. And I'm chairman of school. So on a Wednesday, when we used to have school meetings, I had to borrow the clothes of my roommate to wear that day to go to class. And I washed my clothes and put them on the line. 
I was in class. 5 p.m. And I saw rain. And when I saw rain, I knew my clothes are wet. So I went back, got back to my room, got, uh, took an iron. We used to have an iron in the hall. Tried to iron the clothes, tried to iron the clothes, tried to iron the clothes. Then I heard a knock on the door. I said, come in. And it was a brother. He says, Natasha, please can you follow me to my room? I said, I'm, I'm trying to iron clothes. He's called Mickey Chicks. So I followed him. Went to his room. He pulls out. Just want to give this to you. Went back into my room, found out there were clothes. I wore those clothes. Went to school. When we were finishing school, the chairman of UCC, Brother Samson Lombani, came. He calls me and he says, The chaplain, before he left, he goes. He left us some things for you. You come with me. So I follow him. We go to the chaplain's office. And there's a suit. And inside there, I open. There's a brand new suit. And jackets and other coat. Unbelievable. I walk to my room. I try the suit. And the suit. Exactly. And by the way, to a large extent, that was the only suit I had in college. But there's a story. The chaplain says in 1983, when I was 4 years old, you can guess now how old I was, I am now. He had bought that suit. When he bought that suit, the Lord spoke to him and said, this suit is not yours. At the right time, I will tell you who the owner is. I was not born again. 1996. This incident happens. The Lord speaks to him and says, now the owner of the suit. You check my clothes that I used to wear when I was chairman of UCC at Kansas College. I only had one suit. It was black. It was nice. And it was that suit that convinced Dr. Melda to accept me. That suit. That suit. You can write an article. That suit. I'll tell you the first time. And that was the only thing. And I, and I began to think, God, I was not born again in 1983. I came to Christ on 9th April 1990. And you knew one day I would need a suit. Because prior to that, the only suit I had was that I bought during auction. It was brown in color. And on this day, I got my first suit. 
and it's a suit I wore in college too, I'm sure. Amen? But I'll tell you one thing I did. I cried. I'm, I'm, sometimes you come to me and I tell you it is well. It's because I don't know what to say. It's because I don't know what to say. Honestly, I don't. I know that. But there are moments you come to me, you tell me a story. I just go, it is well. I'm not telling you it is well, oh. I'm telling you this one is hard. And in those moments, don't pretend to be immune. Don't act as if nothing has happened. Don't act as if it's not affecting you. Share the sense of loss with the people. Share the sense of loss. If your family is being affected, you had a good life. And all of a sudden, you are being hit. And your children are crying. Share the sense of loss. Share the sense of loss. Share a sense of loss with them. Share the sense of loss with your children, with your wife, with the people in the office, with the people in your business. When the part, the town was burned with fire, wives were gone, children were gone, sons were gone, livestock, sheep, oxen, clothing, donkeys, camels, they were all gone. And the Bible tells us David wept. He wept. He began to cry with them. So I am telling you, don't pretend. Don't pretend. David rightly mourned and wept until all the tears were finished. Because the Bible tells us until there were no more tears. When you suffer loss in your life, take, it, take this one down. It is not wrong to weep. Hallelujah, church. Don't pretend to be strong and happy. Because some people, they, that's when they begin to crack jokes. You are being affected and then you are busy telling jokes and people should be laughing. When you know I should be crying by now. Because if you don't cry, oh, you will cry. You will cry. Take time and cry. Whether you say, that's the time you say, you, a lot of you believers, you strike off this song, but I love it. Pass me not, oh gentle, I love it. I love it. But that's the moment you sing that song. And when you're singing it, you cry. You cry. Because if you don't cry, you're going to suffer some emotional damage. You suffer some psychological trauma. You, you may collapse. You have to cry. So tell me we will cry. Cry. There's nothing wrong. It's not a sign of weakness. It doesn't mean you are not a believer. You are a child of God, but you are going through the seasons of life. Cry. Amen? Express it. Release it. Express Go through the emotional trauma with the people. Because it's when you have cried and you have gone through it that you can begin to help with other people to deal with the problem. Don't detach yourself and go into quarantine. By now you know what quarantine is. Don't go into there. Cry. Hallelujah. Everyone goes through difficulty in life. You can be so close to God and be so close to problems. Joke. 
Job is a very good example. Job chapter 1 verse 1. The Bible says the man was blameless. The man was upright. The man feared God. The man shunned evil. All of a sudden, pa. So when people say, hey, Job's wife, hey, Job's wife, was busy telling him, hey, curse God and die. You, 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 hey. you could have said the same. It doesn't mean that she was a sinner, the greatest sinner of all. But she saw the pain her husband was going through. Understand. Immediately when these things are going on. And I want you to know, you can be so close to God and be so close to problems. So close to problems. And you're saying, Kupembira I have prayed. I have fasted. There is nothing in the Bible they can say I didn't do. Where are these coming from? But now the story becomes interesting. Because immediately, and this happens in families, immediately after the weeping, immediately after the weeping, your family will find somebody to blame. They'll find someone else to blame. And most of the times, if it's in an organization, they'll blame the CEO. If it's in a department, they'll blame the departmental leader. If it's in the country, they'll blame the president. If you are in a church, they blame the senior pastor. If you are a father, they'll blame you. If you are a single mom with children, the children will blame you. All the time, they'll blame you. If it's in school, they'll blame the headmaster or the headmistress. In Chancellor College, we always blame the principal. The question is why? I'll answer shortly. But most times, people want to hold somebody accountable for their lives. They want to hold somebody accountable for the situations they are going through than themselves. So the Bible tells us in verse 6, so the people turned to David and threatened to stone him and he was distressed. The Bible doesn't say he began to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I fear no evil. The Bible says he was distressed to Why? The people wanted to stone him. And why did the people want to stone him? Who will answer? Number two. Number two. Verse six. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. That's the reason why they wanted to stone him. So number two, what do you do? When you have not pretended to act immune, act as if it's not affecting you, act as if nothing is happening. What is the number two you need to do? When they begin to blame you, bear the burden of the people's frustrations. Bear the burden. Carry the burden. Carry the burden of your family when they begin to accuse you. The other examples are not give because my children may not forgive me. But you carry the burden. You need to acknowledge to your family, life has changed. We are no longer where we used to be. The times are hard. We may have to survive 
on utaka for some time. We may have to survive on beans for some time. We may have to share a piece of sausage among us the fall of us for some time. Don't pretend, don't tell the children now next week it will be fine. You you call it an, an act of faith. It's not. You are lying. You are a liar. It will be in God's time. And you don't know when that time will be. For to God, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. You don't know when the Lord will visit us. All you can tell them is the times are hard. We are going through a very terrible period of our lives. But we know one day the God who is faithful will visit us. Don't tell your children tomorrow. When tomorrow the thing you are saying doesn't happen, your children will begin to doubt God. You are not God. You have never been Jesus before. Demolishing a lot of theology. But I'm telling you, tell the people, our lives are in the hands of God. Amen. When the people are frustrated, most of the time, they want to put the blame on somebody else. And if you don't want to be blamed, don't attempt to be a leader. Don't attempt to be a father. Don't attempt to be a mother. Don't attempt to say in end when they do a promotion when she do, I should be leading a team. Don't try. Don't pray for promotion. If you don't want to be blamed in life, if you want to be a leader in any form in your life, don't cry and say, God, give me a church. Don't. People always blame a leader. Whosoever is a leader in that group, people will blame you. Whether it's at the office, they'll blame the leader at the office. At school, they'll blame. Sometimes they even blame the house prefect. And you want to be a house prefect and you don't want to be blamed. Then why do you want to be house prefect? You, I, I want to be called head boy so that it appears in my CV. No. Stay, get ready, I'll be blamed. Get ready to be blamed. Hallelujah. Don't try to be a president if you don't want to be blamed. Don't try to be a pastor if you don't want to be blamed. Don't try to be a headmaster and headmistress and principal and head boy and head girl if you don't want to be blamed. Even a class monitor is blamed. Don't try. Hallelujah. Some people actually believe it is their father's fault that they are poor today. They believe it. You know, you know people complain. I, 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 was, I was in a group of people recently, and people said, you know what? Look, look, look at uh, Kamala Harris. He's now vice president in America. Black American. Uh, black Indian, whatever, American. And all these things, yes, but some of us, when, 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 People always find somebody to blame. 
Somebody is blaming the great-grandfather that he was the one who was like Usain Bolt, was running away from the slave masters. So by now, would have been in America. But look at him. Look, look at my grandfather running. He thought it was a race, running. When his friends were being caught, he was running. People always find somebody to blame. Even in a church, people will blame the pastor. There are people who actually believe it is their pastor's fault for them to be in the mess they are in. They blame the pastor. Sometimes they'll say, but, but our pastor never told us. Now, when you are a pastor like Pastor McDuff, you turn and say, you look at pastor. He pretends as if he wrote the Bible. They'll, they'll always blame somebody. So, if you don't want to be blamed, don't cry for a call of God on your life. You will be blamed. People will always blame somebody. And the Bible says because of that, the leader, the leader eventually, you get frustrated. You get frustrated. There have been many times I've been frustrated in ministry. There have been many times I have wanted to leave ministry. I don't want to tell you that I have always wanted to be in ministry. Before, yes, I wanted. After I came, I said, I want to get down. And God says, you're not going anywhere. Well, and largely, largely, why have I wanted to go? It's because of you blaming me. Most of the times. I know I'm being nice to you. I'm trying to help you. You will go and I can tell you the stories I have heard about me from the people from this church. I go like, but if they knew I love them, how God? <laughs> cry. I cry. Finish. Praise God, Lord, now what now? Don't begin to say and tell the people, can't you also see I'm grieving? Can't you also see it's also pain in me? We were attacked together. I, I didn't even prepare this attack. I didn't create this problem. Just cry. Come and bear the burden. Why does the blame come? The blame comes because, comes because people expect you to provide the solution. That's why they blame you. They, they expect you to provide the solution. In the home, and I love it in the home. After they have blamed you and blamed you and blamed you, always the next question is, so what are we going to do? The wives call it Lady Dani. Ah, you were blaming me. Now you are asking me, what should we do? Find the solution yourself. But you can't do that. Anyway, story for another day. But the blame, the blame, is actually an admission that they believe you have the answer. That's why they blame you. They believe you have got the answer. But truth be told, you may be as confused as they are, but they believe you can do something about it. Frustration will be thrown at you, but carry the burden. Carry the burden. David had to bear the blunt of his man's frustration and his anger. And when the blame is coming, don't get excessively frustrated and too frustrated when people blame you. Don't. Because sometimes they'll plan to stone you for the problems you didn't create. 
the 600 men, all the fingers pointed at him. Finally, for today, the Bible tells us David did something. David did something. Verse 6b. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Now you can see why I always say, no God for yourself. This is the reason why I say it. No God for yourself. You know, it's one thing people admiring you when you are great. It's one thing. It's another thing for people to stand with you when you're in trouble. It's one thing. I, I, I always, I, I tell people, you know what I'm doing these days, right? Which I'm not going to say, right? So people see the things they see. They say, ay, 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 ay. and I'm like, eh. The challenges, when you come, when you begin to rise up in life, please be careful with one thing. Don't allow these things to get into your head. Hallelujah. Don't allow. The trouble, always trouble, trouble reveals that there is no one to help you. The path to greatness is a lonely path. It's a lonely path. Because in life, most people are receivers and not givers. And they have an assumption that you are not supposed to have problems. That's an assumption that people have. You are not supposed to have problems. So, learn to strengthen yourself and encourage yourself in the Lord. Go within yourself and draw strength. And that strength you can only find in Jehovah. It's good to cry, as I have said. Take some time and cry. Cry and cry and cry. But at some point, stop the crying and learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord. I'll give you a few ways how you can learn to begin to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Number one is to You begin to sing songs. You begin to sing hymns. In the quietness of your life. You're not busy. At that time, you're not busy. Ha ba 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 ba. Ha ba ba ba. Hey. Uh uh. Even if you begin to pray in your tongues, the tongues are very quiet.
Even if you are saying everything is oh yeah, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is listening. You go in that time. You begin to pray in the strength, in the spirit. And you know what happens? As you continue to pray, as you continue to pray like that, all over a sudden, the prayer turns into a song. And the moment it begins to turn into a song, most of the times, it's an indication that you are beginning to break through in the spirit. Learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord. That is going to begin to transform you from transform you from a sufferer to a deliverer. And a lot of the time, most of the times when you are in trouble like that, you are alone. So, yeah? If you keep on crying, it's not going to solve the problem. Cry, but then stop. You can go into a song. You ask my kids sometimes, I am walking in the corridor, I'm singing a song. A lot of you, you ask people and say, what is Pastor McDowell's favorite song? You are Lord my God. You are my Messiah. I just love that. But because you don't know the story. When I begin to sing, we give you glory, Lord. It's because there is a story. Hallelujah. Cry for a while. Take three days and cry. Take four days and cry. But then strengthen yourself in the Lord. Why? Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 35. So strengthen yourself in the Lord. Move from the emotional issues. Remind yourself of God's promises. Remind yourself of God's goodness. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Because the Bible says, for in him, all his promises are amen. Ah, yes. And in him are amen to the glory of God through you. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The same is repeated in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. So in those moments, I want you to join me and then we close. Oh, the Lord is good. 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 And his mercy endureth forever. For the Lord is good. Can I have somebody on the keyboard? For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. And his mercy endureth forever. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. And his mercy endureth forever. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endureth forever. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. Lord is good. For the Lord is good, 
and his mercy endure forever. Hallelujah. You go in your quietness of life and you begin to sing that song. Let me close. When we meet next week, I'm going to tell you something and which I'm just preempting now. Many times when we are hurt, we think that because we have been hurt, then our case will be proven right and we will win. No, it doesn't work like that. And sometimes you can actually pursue a legitimate curse in your life. They took away your farm. They took away your house. They took away your husband. They took away your wife. You, you say, I'm going to pursue it. Sometimes you pursue those things and you lose. Don't fight in your own strength. Seek God's guidance. There are certain losses in life that you have to pursue to recover. There are certain losses in life that you have to leave them and let them go. Hallelujah. Because sometimes in trying to pursue something you have lost, you actually end up losing more. So what do you do? I'll see you on Sunday next week. We look at the four things. But for tonight, for this morning or whatever afternoon or tonight, all we are saying is, For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good and his mercy endure forever. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good and his mercies endure forever. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. Amen. You take that attitude, you recover from the setbacks of life. Amen. So don't pretend to be immune. Don't act as if nothing has happened. Bear the burden of the frustrations of the people. And most importantly, most importantly, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Amen. We continue next week. Let us pray. Father, thank you for today. We bless you. We worship you for today's service. We believe that somebody has been encouraged, strengthened today. In Jesus' name.